0: I'm never going to give up,
1: give up. You're listening boy, to the topic and show on, on, on WLHLT, this this my, your home the new go, radio. Salutations, up, New Haven. Salutations to the world and salutations to everyone out there. we got a show for you today. Yes, we do. A moral budget point 2.0. The struggle continues and I have some great guests and I'll start allowing them to introduce themselves. I want to say thank you to Tom Fricklin for giving us this airtime and also for the best engineer in the business, Harry Drolls for giving us his uh, professional uh, you know, assistance to this. It happens because of the engineers. I'm going to ask people to do a, a, a brief introduction and, and just a little bit about their passion. I'm gonna start with Cindy, I'm gonna to move to Daniel, then to Stephen, and then to Norma. So uh, starting with Cindy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Um, My name is Cindy Stretch. Um, I am the vice president of the CSU AAUP, which is the faculty union representing uh, teaching faculty, librarians, counselors, coaches, and athletic trainers at the Connecticut State University um, system. And my passion is imagining a better world and joining with other people who want that uh, to try to make it a reality.
1: Excellent, excellent. So, Daniel, I think Daniel might be the young man in the group today.
3: I don't know about that. Uh, uh, my name is Daniel Ruma Gonzalez. I'm a student in Hartford at ha- uh, Capital Community College. I'm studying cybersecurity, and uh, yeah, today I'm, I'm representing the the People Center of New Haven. We're a community organization that uh, mostly emphasizes, uh, you know, workers' rights and Uh, you know, right now our focus is on uh, housing rights and tenant organizing. Um, And yeah, that's uh, my passion is, yeah, you know, advocating for uh, regular working people, um, you know, trying to make this a a great place for them to live.
1: All right. Excellent. Excellent. All right. uh, Stephen, New Haven AFT, can you
4: give us an introduction and yeah for sure good morning everybody Uh, my name is Steve Stazniak I'm an executive board member of New Haven Federation of Teachers Local 933 we represent um, 18 approximately 1800 public school teachers um, here in the New Haven public schools Um, I'm a trustee on the executive board I'm also co-chair of the labor committee Um, and then my full-time job is I'm an English and social studies teacher at Metropolitan Business Academy one of our magnet high schools here in New Haven um, where I teach uh, ninth grade English uh, journalism and then a new class I co developed with a colleague, we call it Youth Justice in Practice. So it's um, training our youth to run restorative hearings for, um, for other youth within the schools. Um, I'm a New Haven resident, I'm a New Haven Public Schools parent, um, and my passion really is, um, is youth engagement, whether that's being a father to my own kids, um, but thinking about ways that um, I can use um, you know, my agency to make New Haven um, and our state
1: and our country a better place for our young people. Excellent. Excellence. Uh, We love it. We love it. Oh, Norma, can you take us to a little bit about Recovery for All and you?
5: Great. Hi, everyone. I'm Norma martinez hosang I am the organizing director with Recovery for All. Recovery for All is a coalition of labor community um, faith leaders and organizations, close to 70, um, that for the last couple of years, we've been fighting to Raise revenue by changing our upside-down tax system, which right now favors um corporations and the very very wealthy. And we don't just want to change it for no reason. We want to change it to make sure that uh, that public goods like public education, healthcare, housing, um, that uh, public higher education, that all that is funded, and that we um, every every person, every every child um has a chance to like live a good life um and uh my passion is uh bringing together uh different groups of uh different groups different organizations and finding common goals um because at the end we're in it together and i believe that what affects um in terms of the labor movement what affects workers affects community what affects teachers affects students and so we're all uh we're all uh, working toward, we, we all live in this world and we all, everything affects one another. So I want to make sure that we are talking to one another and that we're um, united towards the same vision. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Excellent. And uh, it's no secret that there's a new union emerging, a new coalition of community groups. So in the Chicago Teachers Union, we had Karen Lewis, who, who passed away from cancer, but was an instrumental activist union president in Chicago, and they went on a series of strikes, and they were bargaining for the greater good, which is something that AFT in New Haven was talking about. And Karen Lewis added a platform to the uh, Chicago teachers unions that they would have a social justice platform, and they would not only negotiate for themselves, they would advocate for others. And and something happened. I know Karen Lewis was a friend of mine, and and something that everybody wasn't expecting in the union happened. All of a sudden the community of parents, so a uh, journey for justice, all of a sudden started co-aligning co- because they started advocating for community schools. They were upset with charter schools and magnet school schools being closed by Rahm Emanuel and, and, and different mayors and uh, in their city. And all of a sudden Chicago teachers union said, no, we want community schools. And they got $250,000 for each community school that was developed over there. And so they, they built their coalition in strength and strength. And when they went out on strike, those parents joined them, went with them. And it's not only that, they're paraprofessionals, which uh, Steven has in New Haven. I remember being at a rally with, with Leslie Blutero, the president of AFT, and there were a group of paraprofessionals there. They were older women. Uh, one of them was 72 years old. And she said, I can't retire. And, and I said, well, don't, what about social security? She said, I don't get social security. Uh, what about healthcare? I don't get it. Uh, what about a pension? I get no pension. She was working for the New Haven schools for 38 years. You know? and, this, and, and so what Chicago Teachers Union did was on one, on one of their strikes, they insisted on a 45% raise for the paraprofessionals. I thought it was crazy. I thought it was outrageous and guess what? they went on strike, they got the 45% raise over there. So this idea of bargaining for the greater good is is what I'd like to talk about today. Uh, Pura from Recovery for All said, over the last six months, Recovery for All mobilized thousands of folks from all walks of life to fight for a moral budget. And now the coalition is strategizing about how do we build power over the next five years? And that's the deal. And, and the moral budget concept comes out of Moral Mondays with Reverend Barber and Connecticut's Bishop Selders. Selders and Reverend Josh and all clergy members were arrested just the last budget time around in the Capitol because they were advocating for a moral budget. And that was because they sang in the Capitol This Little Light of Mine, which you know is really uh, extremely radical. No, I don't know. But I'd like to take us on now and, and take us, I'm gonna start with Cindy and Cindy, You're you're, you're the vice president of of my state union. Where do we go next? Are we just going to go to sleep until the next contract comes out? Just help me.
2: Well, we're not going to sleep, Um, uh, not a chance. Um, We did come out of a a hard contract fight straight into the budget session where Governor Ned Lamont and his Ivy League OPM uh, henchmen decided that the working people of the state of Connecticut, brown and black students, first generation students, don't need a quality higher education system of community colleges and especially shortchanged the state universities in his budget proposal. So we got busy, you know that Jesse um, and, and Norma, we were, we've been working with recovery for all for the last several, you know, since its inception really. And um, we've been a proud member, proud to stand in, in solidarity with, with um, workers and faith leaders and community organizations across the state, because we know that higher education is part of, a, of an ethical ecosystem. Right, so um, so the the idea that that Lamont's budget was so horrible for us um, motivated us to get busy again. Um, we were tired, but you know, like sometimes the boss is the best organizer, and we um, we were at the legislature nonstop through the entire semester and through the semester, and we managed through the appropriation cycle to get some more money, but we're not anywhere close to what we need. And um, and we we've seen the demographics. Uh, we know that the the population is shifting in the state of Connecticut in the region. But we also know, and I'm sure that Stephen can back me up on this, and Daniel uh, from your perspective in the community colleges students in order to succeed these days, they need more, they need more resources, not fewer. Um, Lean is mean, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And so we've, we've been, we've been um, moving towards efficiencies and, you know, cutting, cutting waste, so-called waste for a decade, right? The the idea that we have more to cut um, is, is just insulting really. And it, it's just a, a kind of um, I don't know, it's a, it's a kind of disconnect between the governor and um, and the the, the 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 reality of the people who go to regional comprehensive universities, not because they can't they're not smart enough to go other places, but because they have responsibilities and um, and, and 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 you know, sort of attachments that keep them in um, in the areas where our schools are. So so no, we're not going to sleep. Um, we're not done. We'll be back at the legislature, but more importantly, we'll be building power from within our own unions, talking to one another across campuses, across constituencies, across the state in our coalitions. And we're gonna to continue to fight to, to get our students what they need.
1: It's interesting you said that uh, we're not we don't provide, we don't want to give our black and brown and and all our students an equal and quality education. Well, that was solidified in the 2018 January Connecticut Supreme Court decision that said that the state is not responsible for providing a high quality and equitable education for black and brown and special education children in the state of Connecticut. And the court also said, and this is where I I I think it where we need to pick up the fight. They said they threw the children under the bus. They threw our students under the bus. But they said this is a legislative issue, so it's part of that stuff. And you know, it's it just it look in light of yesterday's Supreme Court decision that threw affirmative action under the bus. Uh, judge, you know, Clarence Thomas, the judge that used to brag. Uh, talk about to all, all, all the people he met when he first became a justice, talking about how he benefited from affirmative action, and now he's probably the number one enemy. Yahoo Williams, uh, Dr. Williams said uh, he wants to write a new book from Uncle Tom's Cabin to Clarence Thomas, you know, over there, that kind of concept. So our Supreme Courts have not been helpful. So it gets us as we must be active. Daniel, uh, you represent those community college college students and you recommend, can you tell us about what should we be fighting for for our community college students? What can we do?
3: Um, well, I mean, I guess I should uh first of all claim to speak for all community college students. Um, you know, I how you do. I, I am a com- <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I've been active with uh uh, some of the social clubs there, so you know, I, I know a lot of the students, and we do talk about a lot of these things. And yeah, I mean, uh, this past uh, uh, two semesters, um, you know, we rallied against the the tuition hikes, uh, which you know uh, we're we're delayed, but uh, as far as we know, are still planning to to follow through on. And yeah, it's it's not lost on us that yeah. Um, the the school our schools have been kind of uh running on a shoestring budget as it is you know kind of running on fumes um you know everyone's kind of struggling to um you know work with the resources that that are currently available uh and but um instead of providing any real solutions uh the governor and has just been proposing more cuts you know but while you know, cutting, uh, uh, you know, faculty and services while raising our tuition. Um, so that's, that's definitely caused a lot of, uh, anger and, um, yeah, uh, I think we, we just, uh, want them to, uh, the governor to, to know that, yeah, well, this, uh, uh this is, does make us very angry and it, yeah. Is uh having a very real effect on on us on our on our lives and on our future prospects. You know, education, Connecticut. I think uh you know really has a, a culture of uh you know education being this like ladder to future success, and you know seeing them kind of so cynically kicking the ladder out from under us. Uh, it's it's infuriating, infuriating. Right?
1: Definitely, but I'm not going to let you go yet because that. That education, uh, you know, I'm thinking about. I, we don't want to say how old Jesse is right now, but there. But one of the things for me, um, a college education, meant meant uh, a decent job with a decent pay, a pension, a home, and and I know that you represent uh, Connecticut residents who are experiencing uh, home insecurity, not only only for owning a home. But for paying rent for apartments. Talk just a little bit about that dream, Home ownership um, or, or an affordable rent. Uh,
3: I mean, I guess, yeah, pers- personally, I don't know anybody my age or younger who realistically expects to own a, own a home anytime soon. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 26 now. I uh, took a break from school for a long time. And I remember like, it, it was a huge deal among my friends that I, I'd managed to uh, just rent a place by myself. Um, and that was because, and that was just because I was living out in like the boonies in New Mexico. You know, I, I had like, i would managed to get like a, you know, a 575 a month for basically a shack behind uh, the Española income support office. Um, and, you know, that, that was huge for me, um, but uh, you know, it, if you I think a lot of, a lot of people my age don't really want to um you know uh live like that and don't don't want to have roommates their, ho- their whole lives and uh you know that uh, uh right now I think uh people a, a lot of us going to college um where you know the best we can hope for is you know a stable income uh but that doesn't uh really uh yeah own, owning a home doesn't
1: uh feel real that realistic for for a lot of us and so we're we're gonna hold on to that statement because a generation not expecting home ownership that is a generation that america's failing so i just want to hold on i don't know the american dream goals, but we'll go into Stephen now. And Stephen, you represent teachers in New Haven. You represent teachers who it seems to me every single year something new is added on to their table and nothing ever is taken away. Could you tell us about the struggle of teachers and is it do we just want pay? Do we want better benefits? Do we want pen? Do we want respect?
4: um we want all of those things the, the all of those things would be great um yeah you know for sure this coming out speaking personally this was the you know going into the pandemic this uh class of students the class of 2023 was the class that experienced the shutdown in their freshman year so we watched them and watched them walk across the stage it was it was beautiful it was inspiring and yet um i have to say their four years they've been you know I can't even imagine how challenging it was being an adolescent is tough enough right and uh, to be a a teacher it's also been additionally um, challenging in my own school on top of having students and I think Cindy said it um, you know we're seeing students present with greater needs than they have had um, in the past this is my going into my 13th year um, in New Haven public schools my 17th year as a teacher and um, we're just seeing needs present themselves more acutely, we're being asked to do more with less. Um, And in my own school, we were unable to fill four full-time teaching positions for the entire year. Um, You know, so teaching vacancies in New Haven are a huge problem. Um, We are, uh, we're working really hard at NHFT um, to retain the teachers that we currently have. And we're doing that um, this year. Our our new push is going to be for safety. We want to make sure, and Norma said it so beautifully, you know, we know and we believe that our teaching conditions, our working conditions, are our students' learning conditions. So when we negotiate for, when we advocate for, when we fight for safe workplaces where we have access to clean water, um, when we have access to bathrooms and soap and clean air and um, and, uh, clean facilities for our students to play in outside. We know that we're um, advocating both for us to be safe in our work environment and for our students to have healthy places um, to learn and grow when we know that they deserve that. And then the fight continues. And we're so grateful for the partnership with Recovery for All and to be in conversation and in solidarity with unions across the state, because this is also a resource fight and as normal alluded to, um, we know that our tax structure in Connecticut is upside down. We have uh, millionaires and billionaires, um, not to mention a, a multi-billion dollar institution um, right here in New Haven that are not paying their fair share and they're doing it on the backs of our young people. It's, it's unconscionable um, and as teachers, we know, we, you know, we know every day. We know what it's like to work in an under-resourced system. We live that every single day, and um, we see what the effects of policies—not just in our schools, but in our communities—inequitable um, policies like uh, you know, housing policies. When our students are forced to move um, over a weekend, hey, what are you going to do this weekend? Oh, we have to move. You know, that's hugely disruptive. Um, And what young people thrive on is routine. They thrive on consistency. So um, just, you know, myself as a member of the Labor Committee, getting to hear of some of the work that our tenant unions uh, are doing in and around uh, New Haven, Hamden. I was in a meeting um, in one of the Central Labor Council meetings and and learned one of the the biggest sort of the Saramonte Tenant Union. That was a place that I had been as a as a teacher to deliver books during the pandemic to make sure that my students had reading materials say like, oh, my gosh, this is I've already been a part of this, you know, as an educator. So really, as a public school teacher, um, and I'm sure it's true of of folks working in the in the higher ed space as well. you know, we are public employees. And so it's not just about schools. It's about uh, not just about healthy schools. It's about um, building healthy communities. And we do that by working together um, with uh, with our, our partner organizations and, and, and sort of being rooted in our community. All right. So we're,
1: we're, we're all connected. Norma, I want to go to you. and and But I, I want you to also share with us, because Recovery for All, give us a bit of Who are the groups that maybe we know the ones in this room now, but who are some of those groups? When I was at the uh, rallies uh, with 1199 and we had a number of people, dreamers, we had uh, uh, people, handicapped people talking about uh, fighting for a moral budget. Could you tell us a little bit about who, who might we be missing that Recovery for All advocates for?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I think a good way to show you is um, or, or to kind of paint the picture is um, this last legislative session we adopted what, and the, what we're talking about a moral budget. Right. What, what, what are in and, and, and this issues around the moral budget are organizations that are leading that fight. So, for example, um, part of our moral budget was um, that undocumented children um, become eligible. For uh, for Medicare for the Husky program for the state program, right now as of uh, as of right now, only children that if children are undocumented and they're over 12 years old, um, they are not eligible to apply for for um, health care. So part of our coalition is undocumented children and adults who don't have health care. Um, We also, um, part of our equity agenda was paid sick, um, expanding paid sick leave, so mothers, right, mothers, um, uh, single mothers um, and other um, uh, workers that right now don't have um, access, um, whether they're in labor unions, certainly labor unions are widely represented, but also other workers who are fighting um, against wage theft and are fighting to just get a little bit more uh, respect in the workplace. Um, some of the organizations that, that support those workers, like the Connecticut Workers Center, um, like the Nagatuck Valley Project, um, ULA Unidad Latina en Acción in, in New Haven, those organizations are also part of Recovery for All. Um, the higher ed unions um, and, and students, right, um, both um, uh, CSUAUP and the 4Cs union um, have done really wonderful job organizing student student um, student activist um, more and more um, in this last legislative session we, we saw them become more active. So students are also part of our of our um, recovery for all coalition. And then workers, I mean we, we do talk about the unions, right the unions and 1199 in particular represents long-term care workers and home care workers. I mean the difference between having a union job and not having a union job for some of these workers is you know, is a day or a week. One day they could be union members of their home care workers, but they're not, they don't have the same um, job security um, that other union workers may have. And so at the end of the day, you know, what recovery for all is doing or, or we're attempting to do is to bring these groups together that, um, that at the end, you know, are families that have children in the schools that are, you know, that are um, that, that are like Daniel right. and that are students of Cindy's and 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 students of Stevens, right? Like all of these all of our community organizations and labor unions are composed of families and individuals that live in the community. So when we talk about bargaining for the common good, we are talking about labor contracts for sure and 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 how we could move that process to really gain for the community. But we're also talking about um, legislation that is going to ultimately support. Um, communities, um, when it comes to do with housing, public education, um, a K through twelve education, um, um, all of these issues are connected. And so, and so, I think we touch upon all kinds of uh, families and all kinds of community members, um, the organizations that are that are part of uh, recovery for all. And so excited to see, you know, to see what we've built so far and to continue the fight.
1: And we would be, I would be missing. Something very important to state: This is the year where we had a two billion dollar surplus in the budget. It wasn't that we were we were begging for money; we were looking for money, four billion. So it just got and a big rainy day fund and more billions. And what do we do? We throw a tuition increase to students. We cut uh, undocumented children off husky care. Uh, you know, it, it, it comes to the point in my mind, I'm wondering, what is the future of an America that does not realize that out of its schools, out of its public schools, out of its university, they produce the economic driver for the engines. When we're talking about tens of thousands of students every year, leaving our universities, 85% of them stay in Connecticut gonna be paying state taxes, making 50 to $100,000 every year for the next 40 years. They are the driver of, of our system. So uh, it's the reason we, we, we asked for this moral budget is it is immoral to have $4 billion and say, I have to give you another tuition increase. It's immoral to say, I can't help you with housing. It's immoral to say, I can't help you with healthcare. That's immoral. And so that's what I love about this coalition of unions and, and community groups that we built with recovery for all and the fight really only starting. Now, I, I did promise, uh, I promised uh, Daniel that I would uh, ask him a, a question that he gave me and it was about uh, uh, what, let me try to remember it. So Daniel, you said about what do, housing for young people. What can we do? What are the resources available? And you had some ideas maybe about that. Can you help us? Because I remember that the first time I was able to live on my own, I was 24 years old. My daughter didn't get to live on her own until she was 32 years old. This is, a, this is the sign of the times, almost 10 years later. Uh, you know, and I was able to own a home at the age of 30 and my daughter still probably will never be able to own a home especially in Queens, New York. All right, Daniel, could you tell us about other resources?
3: Um, uh, For sure, yeah. Uh, And these aren't just for young people. These are for uh, any Connecticut resident. Um, So if you're experiencing excessive rent increase or have unsafe conditions, you can bring your case to um, your town's fair rent commission. Um, And you can uh, look that up at ctlawhelp.org slash en slash rent dash increases dash fare dash rent, uh, dash commissions. Um, and if you would like to uh, look up information on starting a tenant union, which is very important, um, you can call a uh, CT tenants union at 860-756-0257, or email them at CT tenants union at gmail.com. Um, and for, eviction and foreclosure prevention. Uh, Statewide legal services are available at slsct.org. The uh, eviction guide for renters is available at ctfairhousing.org. And uh, if you're facing eviction or losing your housing subsidy, you have the right to a free lawyer. If you're going to court, um, you can call 1-800-559-1565 or visit uh, evictionhelpct.org or ctlawhelp.org.
1: And we we are at a, at a time, we're at the highest level of invic- evictions since the Great Depression. Right. And I know something about eviction. When I was eight years old, uh, my mother and I were evicted. My mother worked, she was a waitress. She worked six days a week. Uh, uh, my father had abandoned us and we wound up being homeless for the next two years in, in, that, in that struggle over there. I know a little bit about, during that time, uh, I was a terror to my teachers and my fellow students during that time. Uh, and that's, that's the way that we have over a million homeless children in our schools. We have over a million children who have addicted parents in our schools, but eviction is a serious, serious issue. And, and, and tenant right groups, You know, I love the idea because they were popular during the 70s and we need them again. Definitely, all right, that's good. Now people, we wanna think about if you had, uh, let me share something that uh, Jesse Jackson told me. So in the 1980 Democratic convention uh, in New York, I was there and Jesse Jackson was speaking to us. We were working the floor for uh, Jimmy Carter at the convention center, and we got to speak a little with Jesse, and Jesse Jackson, we said, well, what do we fight for? And Jesse Jackson said, we fight for laws and policies that lift all boats. And if you can't lift all boats, then that is not the policies and laws you fight for. So I think that's kind of like recovery for all. So uh, I'd like to to, to, to to take us, we're going to go, I'm going to go, it's going to switch the lineup and go backwards. I'm going to start with Stephen. And Stephen, could you give us what would be the, the best hope for public school teachers in Connecticut and their students? Tell us a bit about what you would like, what can we do? What should we fight for?
4: Um, I think to put it as plainly as possible, we want fully resourced, fully supported public schools. That is something that, again, I don't think we as a country have ever fully realized that dream of having public schools that are fully funded, that are equitably funded and, and the craziest part about it as a lifelong resident who, who didn't grow up in New Haven, we know exactly what that looks like, right? We know that there are many zip codes in the state of Connecticut where um, there is not a question uh, of there being a full-time school nurse, of there being a librarian, of there being a para for every student that needs it, and in every primary classroom, we want to see fully resourced public schools. Because I think if we were to see that, we would see you know talk about all kinds of things like um, you know standardized testing gap, the you know the achievement gap that's that's so often alluded to. I think that that those things are often artificial in the sense that. Um, our students in in many of our public schools and our urban centers are not given a fair shake because those schools are not fully resourced. So something like a piece of legislation that, uh, that codifies
1: fully resourced, fully supported public schools, I think that would be a great place to start. And it's to understand this resource thing that I'm not always certain the public understands, but I'm well aware of it. And what it means is that in Madison or in Simsbury, in Avon, they have enough special education teachers. They have enough literacy specialists. They have enough speech pathologists. They have enough services, social workers, counselors to reach everyone. And, and, and our urban schools, and there's 19 priority school districts that uh, have the highest need for special education teachers like Bridgeport. Bridgeport has half the amount of special education teachers that the state says it should have. That's not the case in Simsbury. That's not the case in Madison. Over there, to understand this, the access to literacy specialists, the access to tier one, to social work. And it's not just having them at your school because I'll give you an example. Um, New Britain High School has over 2000 students. So if I have one reading person and I have half of my school needs reading help, there is no way that one person can do it. So what I find is I have an elementary school in Farmington. That's a very small school. With less than 300 students, it has two full-time literacy specialists, two part-time literacy specialists, a bookroom librarian to make sure they have their level tech sets over there. And if I go over to if I just cross the 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 border, they're on the border of each other into New Britain. There are no reading specialists. How's that? So that's the resources I think we have to understand that kind of kind of concept. And it's across the board. And 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 so uh, Yeah, Stephen, and and you're right. Since the very first day of public schools, we have never been equitable. And Horace Mann, the father of of our public school system was the commissioner of education for Massachusetts. And in six years he was, he went, visited 6,000 schools. That was every single school in Massachusetts. Took detailed notes looking, okay, how's the board? What's the books in the room? How many chairs in the room? Is it painted, is this? And what his last report to the Massachusetts uh, legislators was that the main problems with Massachusetts public schools is the vast inequalities. Mm-hmm. And it is still here today. So we've got that stuff. So I want to go over to norm Jesse, can I add on just the sure. one thing? Okay. I think okay. that's really important when we talk about,
4: and, and I'm sure that, that Cindy and, and that you know this well, um, yes, they have, you know, the, 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 the towns with higher socioeconomic status do have enough teachers for now. I think we need to be careful when we talk about that because if our higher ed- if our state higher education system is not fully funded and not supported, we are watching, you know, what I'm I'm part of the leadership group in my school where I'm doing interviews to try to get candidates for some of our most difficult to find positions and those are of course in the math and science areas. And when we talk to our partners at Southern, for example, where we get many of our teachers, they are saying that they are graduating such low numbers of candidates to fill these positions. There are such brilliant young people in our schools where I think if they had a pathway to come back and serve in their community as educators without taking on crushing debt to do so, that they would absolutely do that. But that is not seen as a viable pathway to um, you know to a life that they want to live, where they want to have a family, they want to have a, a, a own a home. So um, we are going to watch if we do not take care of the public education system, especially at the higher uh, education level. We are not going to be able to, to staff our schools. Yes, in New Haven, but also in the in the Cheshire's and the Guilfords and the Branfords of uh, of our state as well. So I think uh, you know, continuing the theme of like it is all absolutely connected when we talk about supporting
1: education, pre K to uh, to higher ed. Definitely, definitely over there. And and I'm, I'm going to take us to. Cindy now, because Cindy, you and I have been around in this higher ed system in Connecticut for a while now. We don't want to say how long, but we've been here. And I remember when I first came to Connecticut, the focus was on retention. It was on getting as many students to graduate as possible. And I watched as we started giving less and less, cutting those budgets, asking us to cut 5% every year. And right now, I think we've been cutting 5% for 20 years. And I think 20 years means we have nothing left. That's what you were saying. But one of the things that I've noticed there's now a new shift when you cut so much and you stop focusing on graduation they're focusing on recruitment now. And so the greater push is recruitment and when we focus on recruitment, it's important but are we forgetting about retention? What does it take Cindy to not only bring students into our university but what can we do for them to make sure they graduate?
2: Well, I think that is that is at the heart of of you know the the struggle that we're in right now in in higher in public higher education and and I would just add I think this is where you're going Jesse but when we're talking about retention we're not just talking we're we're we the faculty does not mean by that that. Students hang on by their fingernails and just get pushed through and the universities become de facto diploma mills. We will not stand for that. That's, that's absolutely at the heart of our struggle. So when we're talking about retaining students, I think that we're, again, it's, it's a complicated issue. and you know Steve said something about student debt, right, which is also part of, you know the kind of larger discourse about the value of higher education. And let's be clear, you know there are folks in this state who would like nothing more than for high school graduates to go straight to an Amazon warehouse right and so and you know for the people who for for whom that's that's what they want you know all blessings to you but like there people need to have opportunities and options and and to pursue their full humanity right so so i would say the the resource question again is this is the key question but when we talk about resources i think the public hears i don't i don't know like photocopy paper or like toilet paper or more computers or something like what are you talking about resources or just faculty salaries but i think that that what, what we what we work on at the csus and i think one of the things that makes us kind of the the hidden gem of the higher education system is that what we mean by that is resources so that we can know our students right? So that we can see them for who they are in their full humanity in all three or four dimensions, right? So that we can track their individual progress, not just through scores on a spreadsheet or in a, you know, learning management grade book, but through their processes, right? So that we can know their goals as individuals and know their individual obstacles towards reaching those goals so that we can work with them to, to reach the goals that they have right and to to all of that adds up to a robust education right and i think that the word education gets dropped out like the concept of actually what it means to get an education drops out of the discussion about you know like funding for higher education it's about bean counting and not not paying attention to the human beings who are actually already in our classrooms and who are working off who worked awfully hard to get there and are, who are working awfully hard to stay. It shouldn't be that hard.
1: It shouldn't be that hard. And we're doing we're at a time where any on, on, all our CSU. Colleges are un, understaffed with with counselors, with mental health counselors, at a time where the Surgeon General said we have a mental health crisis with our young people. We're starting to wind down, in, in, in towards the end of the show, so I want to give people I, I, sixty seconds each somewhere about that. I want to start with Daniel because I want to go with the the youth because you are the future, you are you are the dream, you are our hope, and we love no, you. Stop and it. Daniel. Where do we take where do we take this struggle next? How can how can how can our unions? How can our other coalition members in Recovery for All? How can the old guys like me help this future generation? You're going to take care of me when I retire. <laughs> help us! Give for us! Sure. Some, what should we do? How do we wake up? You know, it's like that song, "Wake up, everybody."
3: Yeah. Well, I I I like that we're um, emphasizing the coalition here. I think, uh, yeah, projects like Recovery for All are, are very important, uh, not just, um, you know, in the practical sense of, you know, getting legislative action done. But, you know, I think um, it, in America especially, and I think that this uh, is sort of related to what you say about mental health, uh, most of us feel like, especially after the pandemic, that we're all on our own, right? That we're all, uh, you know, just looking out for number one here and, you uh, you know, that's very lonely. It's very isolating and it makes people very desperate and hopeless. Um, and I think it's important to know that uh, uh, for, there are people out here who are fighting for you. And, uh, but that we also all, uh, we need your help. You know, uh, there, there's no union without you, whether that's a tenant union or um, uh, or a, a workplace union. Um, and, you know, on, on the housing side, um, I mean, just most of what we're doing is just talking to our neighbors, um, which I think is, uh, oddly enough, a, a thing that a lot of people just uh, don't do anymore. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of a tendency to be like, oh, it's the social media and the cell phones or whatever. But I I, I think it's uh, a lot more to do with, um, you know, that they, they don't want us talking to our neighbors. You know, pe- people like the government is uh, uh, the governor, you know, that they, they don't. Want us to know that uh, we are capable of caring about each other and helping each other. Um, I think that's uh, that's something
1: that's very important for us all to be doing. It's interesting. Cindy wrote in the chat: "Talking to your neighbors is a revolutionary act." It reminds yeah. me of when I was in Selma, Alabama. I was with Reverend Barber. And Reverend Barber is going to be the is going to be at Yale. He's retired from the ministry, he's gonna be at the center, the Law Center, and they're gonna have a new, I think it's the Divinity and Law uh, uh, Center at Yale, and he'll be with us. But Reverend Barber, we're at an organizing committee with him in Selma, and we're trying to understand that there's no better organizer than Reverend Barber, really, he gets it. And he said to us, he said, he goes, he says, Jesse, uh, who's your brother's keeper? You know? And I said, well, uh, I, 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 you? And he said, I am yours. He said, uh, we are our sister's keeper, our brother's keeper, and they are our keepers. And when we realize this together, that's when we rise up. And that's what that whole idea of a moral revolution was that we become each other's keeper. I love that idea. And you certainly took us there. And Stephen, uh, give us like what, Give us that last 60 seconds of what What can we do for teachers? How can we better join the fight? And you're right, there's a massive shortage, 500,000 less education employees in our schools since the pandemic. <laughs> Well, anybody
4: that wants to come and join up with us, you know, where we've been incredibly active um, through the spring, through the budget season, and we would love for people to join up with us as we call for uh, for a better funding structure, more equitable funding structure. We have a mayoral election coming up um, in New Haven uh, primaries in in uh, in September, and. Um, You know, these things matter. Elections matter. And so um, we would love to see people, you know, be engaged in the democratic process um, because those things absolutely have uh, consequences, especially as we see all the Supreme Court rulings coming out uh, this week. We know that elections matter. So having people engage um, in that and engage with us, uh, with us that are already um, doing that work. Um, I want to call on the, the the work of Dr. James Comer, um, who uh, is the, the, the you know, creator of the Comer School Development Program at, at Yale School of Medicine. And um, Dr. Comer, when he talks about the, the Comer School model, what is the, at the foundation of any strong schoolhouse is relationships. And so strong relationships. And what that means to me is strong relationships, teachers looking out for one another. You know, so uh, as Cindy alluded to, you know, organizing and having conversations with each other, you know. You know so that we know within schools and across schools that we have each other's backs that we're looking out for one another and that we're acknowledging the fact that this work is harder than it's ever been but we're we're here for one another it means that being in relationship with our students that we're going to listen to our students so when our students are saying i'm having a hard time this is what's going on with me um that we're willing to uh, be co-creators of what our our schools can look like with our young people and um and being in relationship with our community, knowing that there are so many folks, not necessarily teachers, but um, amazing community organizations that when we are in strong relationship with them can can supplement and can make our school lives richer. So uh, we wanna make sure that we maintain and continue to build those strong relationships. And then I think um, we wanna continue to dream. We wanna lean into our radical imagination and we wanna continue to ask our young people and our teachers and our community members, what it that fully funded public schools um, can look like, and knowing that uh, the fully funded public school, uh, the the K six school in Newhallville needs to look a little bit different than the K eight school in Fairhaven needs to look a little bit different from the comprehensive high school, um, you know, in East Rock. That and that's okay, and and we want to, uh, and there is space for all of those things. We're, so we're not going to stop dreaming, um, and we're going to lean into that radical imagination because um, because that's I think how we eventually get to uh, get ourselves all free.
1: Radical imagination. We can't go better than that. Cindy, how about 30 seconds? Where's higher ed?
2: Well, I mean, I I, I just want to echo what Daniel and Steve have said, uh, that this is going to be the next few years are going to be about, um, you know, talking to one another, trusting one another. Um, you know, coming up with good ideas together, working together, shoulder to shoulder um, with people maybe we haven't seen ourselves in solidarity with in the past, but we're, we're starting to recognize where our where our real, real interests lie and they don't lie in in paying Wall Street first. And I think that's, that's what it comes down to.
1: So if we think about this, moral budget 2.0, is the struggle to lift all boats policies tax policies education policies health policies housing policies that don't that just don't pay for some or lift some but lift us all and if we can do that i think we're going to have something like and you know we it's the saddest thing is our income tax the lower the, the less money you make the higher the percentage of income tax state income tax you pay if that's not a more, I don't know what is. So I, I, I think we've got a fight on our hand. And, I, and, and something that Senator Winfield, Gary Winfield from your area always says to us, hey, you shouldn't come up, tell us about legislation in January. You should come see us the year before and start plotting and planning and engaging us in the kinds of legislation that you want to see. So we got a fight, we got a great fight coming, a moral budget fight to come, I can't believe it. New Haven, thank you. I think Harry's gonna start playing the music. If he doesn't, then somebody else can jump in. But I, I love you, New Haven. I love you, Connecticut. I love our unions. I love our teachers. I love our students. I love our young people, Daniel. Yeah, you're the future over there. And thank you, thank you, Tom Fricklin. Thank you. Uh, 103.5 New Haven Radio. I think I did it this time.
0: Less camera, action! I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Hey. Yeah, this is my road. Lights, camera, action, I'm ready to go Wait way too long, we faced them storms Now you gon' face the dawn you waiting for I said from night to dawn, I write my wrongs alone in competition with warnings, ice galore Now I'm running toward it, my are finished Being a quitter, but little, little by little They joking, telling some riddles Now I'm in my section, ain't willing to give up Know you getting knocked down, but you gotta get up I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, Hey. Cause this is my road.